This is the Rejoicing in the Word podcast coming to you from the capital region of the Susquehanna Valley. And we are here for part two of our missionary interview with missionary Joseph Marshall. And we just concluded a uh, part one series. You can go back and listen to it. It's about 15, 16 minutes long, and you can hear uh, Brother Marshall's salvation testimony and how the Lord led him to the missions field. But I am here today with uh, Brandon Starnes, my pastor here, and also obviously with missionary Joseph Marshall. And um, let's just continue the the interview here. Ask, we want to ask you some questions uh, kind of relating to ministry. And you mentioned you've been in Australia 19, going on 20 years here. I believe it's in November. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to, why don't we start out with the culture and what were some things that you would say maybe some challenges that you faced with culture. You came from Boston area, Massachusetts, uh, where you grew up, and then now you're in Australia as a missionary. So what's that like? Well, with the culture, a lot of it is doesn't really strike you right off the bat because you think, I'm going to an English-speaking country. I speak English. Everything will be easy. Uh, and then you realize the English English you speak and the English they speak are not the same. And just... The, you know, I know my wife, one of the things she had a hard time with was simply cooking because things are called something completely different or they're stored in a grocery store in a spot where you would never expect it. And so we go to church the next week and we say to the the missionary, you know, where do they put maple syrup? They're like, oh, that's simple. It's it's in the ice cream toppings. (laughs) And you're scratching your head going, what's maple syrup? Everything to do with ice cream. And uh, we don't know, but that's just where they put it. And so they said to us, next time you go grocery shopping, coordinate a time with us. We'll go with you. We'll show you where everything is. We'll show you what things are called. And one of the greatest advices she gave my wife was take all your American recipes and all your American cooking books, throw them out, and get a subscription to an Australian one. So that way you have all their terms and all their their everything and so their measurements are different too and their they? measurements are different because the metric system so that mm-hmm. was another adjustment culturally was you're used to the imperial system but now that i've adjusted to the metric system um it's so much easier to work with when you're building because sure. there's it's very precise um it's not like well which one is five eighths uh, you know which see all those years things. of fractions you just yeah. threw them out the window <laughs> just throw them out the window it's you just a, need 10 yeah it's just 111 and it's 111 is the same on every single measuring device you could possibly have that threw me off whenever we were over there he had me building some different games and stuff mm. and so i pulled out his tape measure i was like what is this because i'd spent you know ever since i was a kid i was working with a american tape measure yeah, and so that that's some of the cultural things. So it's, it hits you sometimes like that. Or even um, a simple thing like I'll never forget our very first service. And uh, they were having – it was December, and we got there in November, December. And so it's going into summertime, and they were having a church um, barbecue picnic with volleyball on the beach on Bribey Island. And the Australian assistant pastor got up, and he was making an announcement. And he says to the church, hey, church, remember, everyone bring your thongs. (laughs) And I just kind of stopped and stared. My wife looked at me and leans over and says, what kind of church did you get us into? 
And I said, I thought they were like what we believed. I didn't know. And so the pastor sees this confusion going on, hops up because he's an American missionary and says to me, Brother Joe, whatever you're thinking, don't. If you show up like that, you're fired. He's talking about flip-flops. And I went, oh, that's much better. That's much better. So just some words that would be something different. Or even getting used to, if you go to someone's house, um, in the U.S., you would ask to use a restroom or a bathroom. You would never use, say to someone, can I use your toilet? Because that's just kind of... I don't know. It's not tactful. It's crass, you know. Um, But in Australia, that's what you have to do because it's a room and that's all that's in it. The toilet is just the toilet. Some of them might have a little sink, but that's it. The bathroom will usually have a bathtub and a shower stall and uh, like a vanity sink. Um, But usually the shower stall isn't in the bathtub. It's separate. And so the bathroom is the bathroom. The restroom has a bed in it. Where so it's where you rest. So depending on how so you ask, it's not a bedroom. No, it's it's a well, they it's a bedroom. Um, but if you start saying restroom, they know what you want. They've watched TV enough, but they're going to have some fun with you, and they're purposely going to bring you to a room with a bed in it. So they're participating in the process yeah, of sanctification. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. they're having fun. Um, so it was just simply little things like that, and, and then learning uh, the first missions conference I ever preached. We had just been in the country for a few weeks. I I was completely ignorant of the whole political system, which is completely different than in, in America. In America, you vote for the person. In Australia, you vote for the party. In America, you have the opportunity to vote, the right to vote. In Australia, you have the requirement to vote. If you don't vote, you are penalized, you're fined, or you can face prison time. Um, so that type of thing. But I got up and I made this statement because, you know, um, in the Bible it talks about giving and the liberality in, in two, I think it's 2 Corinthians 8. And I said, jokingly, I said, one of the only times it's good for a bible even Christian to be liberal in their life is in your giving. Well, instantly the whole church went quiet and looked confused. And right in that moment, I knew... I had just somehow unknowingly offended an entire church. I had no clue what I did, but I know I did it. And one older lady in the back particularly looked like she was about to take my head off. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh. So I ended the message, which I don't think they heard anything after that. And afterwards, the, the whole asking thing, I went to a man in the church and I said, Brother Terry, I have no idea what I did, but when I said that, I made everyone mad, and it was very apparent. And he said, oh, do you know our political system? And I said, apparently I don't. He said, because you just went political in the pulpit. And I said, what did I do? He said, you just told us how to vote. And I said, no, I didn't. I told you how to give. He said, do you know our two political parties? And I'm like, no, I don't. He goes, okay, the, the Labor Party is kind of like your Democratic Party. And I went, okay, no, probably it was Democratic. And he goes, our one that would be equivalent to your Republican Party, you know, the conservative one that most Bible-living Christians might back? They're called the liberal party. Is that right? (laughs) (laughs) So he said, by saying the only time it's in a Bible-living Christian's life it's good to be liberal is in your giving, you just told people not to vote liberal, 
And the old lady in the back that you said was mad, her son's a liberal senator. <laughs> and I went, oh, no. So the next night in church, I got up, and I just said, church, I had a dumb yank moment. And that's what they call Americans. All Americans are yanks. And I said, I, I offended you, and I apologize. I had no idea. I was completely ignorant. And if you'd forgive me, I'll do my best. But it probably won't be the last time. So just kind of bear with me. And if I say something dumb like that, you know, just pull me aside and let me know. And everyone laughed, and it p- put down that barrier. Mm-hmm. So just, again, because you're going to do that from time to time. So just the language and just simple little things were what was hard culturally adapting. Um, but that was but surrounding yourself with some people that are willing to help you um, and laugh at yourself because I mean like I said, I got up and admitted to the whole church I was an idiot. You know, I didn't I didn't intend to do it, but I did it unknowingly. And they were okay with that as long as you were willing to admit sure. you you were wrong. Some of the the faux pas that you're mentioning now, I imagine your children Many of them kind of have grown up in Australia, so they they probably had less of those. They've had less of those in Australia, but more of those wow. when we're back here. <laughs> There's some words that like are said in Australia that we're like, you don't use those words in America, not not in Christian realms, and they're like, why? You just don't. Oh, okay, so they have it. We have it in Australia. They have it in America. Right. Basically, well, how has overall your family adopt, adapted to missions as a whole? And of course, you and your wife, how has she adapted in Australia? Uh, my wife grew up as a missionary kid in Mexico. Her dad just celebrated 50 years as a missionary with BIMI. So she kind of knew what she was getting into when she went into missions. Uh, my children, um, the mission side of things of actually living in Australia, they love. Um, they love Australia. It's their home. Um, they think Australian. They, everything about them is really Australian. Um, the difficulty they have with missions is when we have to come back to the U.S. and travel and be, you know, different churches and drive and drive and drive and drive and drive. Uh, because in Australia, when you're just involved in the one church, you have like a normal life, you have your schedule. You have your, your bedtimes, you know, your meal times and all that type of stuff. And then when you're traveling, you know, you could be in a spot where there's nowhere to get food. So you end up eating lunch at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, so they struggle more with the when we actually come back to the States. Um, and they what they really struggle with, I think I said it before, is when people say to them, oh, isn't it good to be home? Mm-hmm. Um, just understanding the fact that to missionary kids, and it's not that we don't tell them we're from America. It's not that we don't teach them American history and, and all those types of heritage things. Um, it's just they struggle. Our kids struggle with the fact that everyone wants to tell them they're home, and everything inside them says home's Australia. Um, but part of that too is when we raised our children. Um, and I hope this doesn't sound bad, but we decided since both feet are in, we'll celebrate Australian holidays and maybe not so much American holidays. Not that we're ashamed of them or anything, but if we're in Australia, we celebrate the Australian holidays. Um, and so we, we live that way. And so that's what they're used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've just really adapted very, very well. They're involved in ministry. Um, they work, they, my daughter's involved in a local orchestra. Um, you know, they, 
they just are completely adapted to it. I will say one of the things that helped me as I was over there is you're going around with uh, Brother Marshall's kids. And so that helps you out because you have someone who knows about America, and then you have someone who knows the same person. They also know everything about Australia. So it really is a big help if you're visiting. I know I took a lot of tips and pointers from them. Um, Speaking of your family and some different things, maybe some different challenges of culture there. What about, what were some of the challenges that you faced in church planning itself? The We've planted two different ways um, in church planting. Our first way was one, the typical missionary, you go in and it's just your family and you start from nothing. That was difficult because all the Australians where we were, because we were in Darwin and there had been three or four other independent Baptist churches there and they all last six months and they close. And so how long are you going to be here for? When are you leaving? Oh, we're not leaving. Yeah, sure, right. So it was just getting over that stigma um, and being accepted in the community. Um, but then when we started this this next church, well, out of that church, we helped bring in a missionary and started a church in Cairns. We started a Bible study in Catherine, three hours away, that's now a, a full church of its own with an Australian pastor. Um, but then when we went to Brisbane, we actually teamed with an Australian church, and they sent 30 folks with us. And so the struggle wasn't that, um, you know, all these people, when they came in, they came into a church of 30. So in their mind, oh, this is a real church. It's not a cult with just a, you know, with just a pastor and his family. So that helped. But then you still had the struggles, um, you know, of just keeping going um of just being accepted now that one would also helped is australians will say well who gives you the right to start a church here why do you think we need one and then i could say oh well well, i didn't it wasn't my idea there's a local church here you know in albany creek and they saw the need for a church here in the north lakes area and they sent me to help them oh oh so that really changed how the Australian community accepted us in our in this current church plan. There's a lot of biblical principles behind that, too. You, you've got a team starting off. It takes a lot of the uh, pressure, dare I say stress, off of the pastor. They're, they're going to be able to continue even when you move on. Mm. How do I put it without getting myself in trouble? The team philosophy, I think, is should be in existence, but it's not in existence um, and I think a lot of it is when you get American missionaries working together, it's well, what do I claim? In my, what can I put in my prayer letter? What do I claim? Who cares? Who You're did? talking about um, uh, the team philosophy the among missionaries. Because yeah. to me, it's like who cares who gets credit? Is a church established, Christ's name's glorified, people saved, and well, That is the credit. You know, that, that's yeah. all that, that needs to be. I don't care what I get in my prayer letter and what you get in your prayer letter. Now, when we started with the church, they sent me one of their Bible Institute graduates, and we worked together wonderfully. And it was really nice because I would teach one Sunday school class, he would teach one. I would preach on Sunday morning, and when that series was done, he would preach a series, and then we would do Sunday night. And so all of the preaching was literally cut in half, and he did half, and I did half. And so he got fed from hearing someone else preach, and I got fed from hearing It really worked together, and it was like the most biblical model of experience in church. And um, I would I would highly recommend just working in a team and say, you know what, who cares who gets credit? 
um, just is a church established and people grounded in the Word of God. And if you want to put something in your prayer letter, just both write the same prayer letter. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'll write the prayer letter this month. You write it next month, and we'll send it to everyone's. There you, know, you, go. There you go. You know, <laughs> that's good. Um, you kind of had touched on this a little bit earlier, maybe in the previous podcast, about how there's more churches in one county, perhaps in the United States, than in all of Australia. Where do you see? Where do you see the greatest needs in Australia, ministry-wise, spiritual-wise? Some of the greatest needs we have, um, like I, it's just simply getting, not just getting churches started, but the problem is uh, when most missionaries come to Australia, they have the idea of four years on the field, one year off the field. That works in most, some countries, but in Australia it doesn't. It takes seven to ten years to establish a church in Australia to just to get it sort of grounded. And so if you're leaving at four years you basically are going to have nothing to come back to and restarting every four years. So you never really get the momentum. Um, and so it just that's a challenge, I think, in missions. And right now in Australia, there's probably a third of the churches, uh, Bible-believing churches in Australia, will be pastored by Australians. A third would be pastored by American missionaries or missionaries from various places. And a third of them would have no pastor at all, none. And so what we really need is some people to come in and say, you know what, it's great to establish a church, but what about this one? And and sometimes, too, like when a church, the pastor, something happens and they have to get a new pastor, it's almost like to solve my problem, I'm going to take this church's pastor and they come up here, and then this church has the same problem. And so it's basically you're just moving pastors around. When what we need is this pastor to stay and this pastor to stay and, and keep going. Um, so a great need is just to have people who are faithful and just encouraging each other. Um, when we first got to Brisbane, we spent six to eight months simply just working in that church before we started this next one. And I was able to, just to travel to churches and fill pulpits and so a pastor, hey, have you ever had a time away with your family? No, I haven't. Okay, why don't you go? You pick the time, you, and you want, and if you want me to, I'll come fill the pulpit. Um, so just try to encourage the existing pastors, right. as well as these churches that have no pastor, trying to encourage them and keep them going, which is how we ended up having a church merge in with us um, because I had filled their pulpit so much. Right. And you'd mentioned, I know whenever we were over there, or whenever I was over there with you, I saw it too. So Australia is this big country, and then there's like a few cities, and that's where everyone lives, and everyone's so far apart. So you're, whenever you're talking, and maybe you have you'd mentioned one of your youth camps or something. How f- you're pulling from far away for those? Our youth camp is twelve churches within a five and a half to six hour radius of Brisbane. Okay, and they all come together. Um, just Brisbane alone to go from the top of the north side of Brisbane to the bottom of the south side of Brisbane is about two hours. So it's it's a it's a large area. Is Brisbane the city? Brisbane's the city. And so you're saying say that again? To go from the top of the north side to the bottom of, of the south side of Brisbane, it can take you about an hour and a half to two hours driving. That's significant. So it's a significantly big yes. city. Um and I think what we need to do like what some people have started doing is I think we we may have done it when you were there. I don't know when we went camping and then went letterbox a town. 
Did I'm, we not sure if we, I'm not sure if might we not have been, not, might not have been with Josh. At the same camp. But sometimes we'll go camping outside of a, a smaller outback town. And then when we get up in the morning, we'll go letterbox that town because there's, there's no church there. Um, and it might be, you know, there might be 400 people there. So it, you might not be able to start like a self-supporting church there. But then there's a, a, a one of the missionaries who's like a circuit riding preacher, and he, the first Sunday a month he has church in this town, and then he has it in that town, and then in that town, and then in that town. Um, so just trying to come up with some ways to get the gospel into places um, and be a little bit creative. Speak to that, M. What do you think has been one of your more fruitful ministries? One of the it actually was in Darwin, and uh, it was balloon animals. We were invited into the local markets. And um, if we made balloon animals and gave them out for free, we could also have invitations to our church, gospel tracks, and give them out for free. And we would have three, four, five hundred a night. And we actually saw three or four families in our church as a result of that. Um, so it was a little bit outside the box, but that, that was in Darwin. In Brisbane, um, hmm, it's just been letterboxing. Just going out and letterboxing. What do you mean by letterboxing? Letterboxing, you can't do it in America. Uh, you can go door hanging, uh, but it's just taking a gospel track and putting it in their mailbox. Gotcha. Um, like but what we would call canvassing, but canvassing. you're using their mailbox. But you're using their mailbox, and if they're in the yard, you speak to them. Right. And so it's just doing that. We've actually seen a lot of results from that, but um, we were doing about 100,000 homes a year. And we'll have about 100 first-time visitors a year. So it's still that same principle, but if you go out and just in volume um, do that, we've seen great results from it. What are your future plans? Our future plans, um, Lord willing, uh, to be able to get this church to a point where right now it pays all its own bills, um, but it just can't support the pastor, uh, which is the next step. Once it can do that, then obviously installing a pastor and then planting another church. Um, because right now, where God put this church, it's the center of a, of a spoke. And it's in a growth pocket. Mm-hmm. So we could go 30 minutes in any direction from our church and start another church. Um, one, of them, one of the places that we're praying for, it's a new town just being built as we speak called Caboolture West. Um, nothing's there. They're laying all the infrastructure for the city now. And it's supposed to be the same size as our city, if not bigger. And so that's kind of earmarked as, well, if you want to start a church, that's kind of the next place to go. Um, and so we're, we're already praying for that, looking forward to that. Because it would be great to start a church as the town is built. So then that way you grow with the town rather than the town being 10, 15 years old and there's already churches established there. Um, so that's that's sort of what we're praying towards and looking at. And you just mentioned to me the other day about how, so um, Brother Marshall, the New Beginnings Baptist Church is really, really unique situation for your building there. Um, why don't you tell us about that? You're in a school, but the whole, you said that the school is growing and the building's growing. And you're just able to benefit from that. The school, when we started seven years ago, had about 300 students. This January, they had 1,600 enrolled. So that tells you the growth in our area. And that's just a primary school, an elementary school. And so they literally just built a brand new school hall that seats 2,000. 
And your church leases that hall. We have that hall. Um, and and in, in our town, it's nothing to be renting a hall like that. Um, the Anglican Church, which is a big denomination, rents the YMCA. They don't even have their own building and land. Um, there's only three churches that actually have building and land because land is so expensive. Um, you're talking a million dollars for a piece of land with nothing on it. And then you have to clear it and you know all that type of stuff. So we have that building, and I think we pay $60 an hour. So we pay about $2,000 a month rent. Uh, but then that allows us to put more money into other things by having that building. And that comes with your projectors, your sound system, your tables, your chairs, facilities. your electricity, maintenance. facilities, maintenance, everything. <clears throat> um, and then so if we're having six or $7,000 a month coming in and only $2,000 going out for a building – you have all that money to fund ministries and outreach and and all those types of things. And there's a lot can be said for that. Yeah. Now, when you go to this undisclosed time frame of maybe planting another work, which model do you think you'd use? We would love to use the model. Uh, and uh, we've already talked to you about it. Yeah, in I church. should probably stipulate that and say, which one would you be most likely to want to Jeez. use? Um, the one that we did when we planted this church. Sure. As a matter of fact... We have probably six families in our church currently who live in Kabulcha. So therefore, those would probably be six families who would go with and start the church. Yes. Um, and, and do that again. And so I think there's just so much for that because you have discipled people. You have people who are, are keyed in. You already have faithful people, giving people um, – so you have some workers at the bat. You have all those things. And again, when visitors come in for the first time, they see a functioning church. And it's not like the pastor. I don't know what it's like here, but in Australia, when it's just the pastor and his family, instantly the thought is, what cult am I in? I think it's the same. I, I think people feel the same way. I know when when we started here in 2010... Uh, that was a tremendous advantage that we had is that we had our home church send families. So even though we only had about 12 adults, and of course that's not counting children, folks coming in were coming into something that was already established, and that made a tremendous difference. So I would prefer to use that model because it's a team, and when you look in the Bible and church planting, you see a team. And so I think that better replicates that than just one family by themselves trying the best they can yes well it has been a pleasure over this broadcast and the last one to be able to have the opportunity to get to know you and your heart the vision god's put in you regarding missions and we are going to continue to think and pray for you often anytime we think of australia or brisbane for josh would you give us the word for the day and close us out sure thing our word for the day comes out of psalm 51 8 really a verse to contemplate here Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. You know, even in times of, this is specifically David's life, but as we grow in our walk with the Lord, we're going to stumble along the way, and the Lord brings healing to that. And the Lord is the one who can bring joy and gladness that we can still rejoice And David here says that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. So until next time, keep rejoicing in the word.